what I'm going to do is uh, I'm going to set up the story and, um, and then tell you kind of how we're going to go through the story. What I've done actually the last few times that I've taught is I read through the passage at the beginning and then we went back through it and unpacked it in a little more detail. What I'm going to do this morning is we're going to take it piece by piece as we go. Uh, what our story consists of this, uh, this morning is essentially a, a, a late-night secret rendezvous uh, that uh, consists of a conversation uh, had between Jesus and a man with questions. So what I want to do is uh, tell you a little bit about who that, uh, how that conversation takes place, and then we're going to go through it piece by piece um, and unpack it. Uh, Nicodemus, uh, the story is about a conversation that a man by the name of Nicodemus has with Jesus, Jesus the Son of God, uh, the one that we've been uh, looking at over the last uh, four weeks, trying to understand who he is, trying to understand who we are in relationship to him. And Nicodemus uh, is one of the guys that we know about through the story who had some questions for Jesus because uh, the ministry of Jesus was creating some questions in his own heart. But you need to understand something about Nicodemus. Nicodemus is a Pharisee, which essentially means that he is a man of social, political, and religious uh, influence and power. He is a man who gets to tell other people what they can and can't do, uh, he is a man who uh, gets to influence uh, culture and society. He's a leader. Now, we today live in an environment where we have uh, separation of church and state. So, people that are leaders of ministries, or religious leaders, are usually not, often not, uh, political leaders simultaneously. Uh, in this culture, they were one and the same. To have religious authority was to have political authority. It was to have social and cultural authority. There's only one problem, and Nicodemus uh, is going, uh, is motivated to reconcile this problem. Nicodemus is a man who recognizes that despite all of his power and authority, there's no power and authority in his ministry. We, we, we are introduced to him in this way. Now, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus. He was a ruler of the Jews. And this man came to Jesus by night and he said to him, Rabbi, we know that you have come from God as a teacher, for no one can do the signs that you do unless God is with him. So here's a little bit of a problem. We recognize that despite our authority, our power, you have something through your ministry that we lack. And I have some questions about that. Because the testimony of your ministry, even though we don't admit this out loud, even though we're talking in secret here at night, the testimony of your ministry is this. It's undeniably enabled by the God of the universe. I have some questions about this. 
So he approaches Jesus uh, late at night. This is what I want to do this morning through this conversation. The Pharisees, the religious leaders, the guys in charge of the day, uh, if you were to sort of wrap up their, their disposition in one uh, description, it would be this. These are the self-righteous. Uh, I know today we don't really have a lot of examples of leaders who are self-righteous, so it might be a little bit of a reach for you to try to enter into that mindset. But these are, these are people who believe themselves to be uh, as a result of just who they are, moral authorities. Self-righteousness is the effort to attain to a sufficient level of moral superiority so as to feel confident in my standing before God. If I can, if I can through my efforts, through my actions, attain to a sufficient level of, of moral superiority. And by sufficient, what I mean specifically is if I can live my life morally slightly better than the rest of you. Self-righteousness is not based on God's standard, it's based on a human standard. If I take the average of everyone in this room and I can live my life morally just a little bit better, then I feel a little more confident. I mean, God obviously wants to save some of you, and I'm better than you, so clearly he would save me. So I feel better about my standing before God. That's self-righteousness. And that's Nicodemus. These are the self-righteous guys. And out of their self-righteousness, they uh, wield influence. They wield power. Uh, they wield even the name of God towards others. So this is what we're going to find in this conversation. This is how I'm going to organize our discussion this morning. I've entitled my teaching some hard, or hard medicine for the self-righteous. Hard medicine for the self-righteous. Uh, I'm going to divide this discussion into four observations. Each of these observations is a very large antidote to self-righteousness. Now, uh, if you've ever used hydrogen peroxide on a wound, you guys have done that before, what do you say when you do that? Ouch, that's good. But it only hurts if there's a wound, right? You can, you can put that disinfectant on your skin and it, it, wouldn't, it wouldn't cause any duress, it wouldn't hurt at all. But if there is an open wound, when you put it on, it hurts. So, as we look at, these, uh, at, at this medicine for self-righteousness, you need to do your own self-analysis. And if there's one of these that hurts a little bit, maybe there's something there. Because there's one thing about self-righteousness, and that is that none of us have it. It's everyone else that has it, right? So what I want to do this morning through the conversation that Jesus has is provide a diagnosis, and if there's, again, if there's one of these elements of the diagnosis of this medicine for self-righteousness uh, that makes you go, ooh, ah, there you go, then you can have a conversation with God about that. Here's the deal. Self-righteousness 
is the fastest and most guaranteed path to eternal damnation. You know that? You know the story of the prodigal son? How many of you have heard the story of the prodigal son? You know it's actually a story of two sons. In fact, it's, he says, the, the, the Matthew says, I'm gonna, or Luke says, I'm going to tell you in Luke 15, a story of two sons. And it was a story told to the Pharisees. And the story is this. There's two sons. One is given himself to immorality, and one has done everything right. And when the one who gave himself to immorality returned to the father in repentance, he was restored to relationship with the father. And the other son who had done everything right was enraged and refused to join the celebration. It was the one who did everything right that ended up being alienated from his father at the end of that story. It was the self-righteous son who did things correctly that had no relationship with the father. Jesus told that story to the Pharisees. He's addressing self-righteousness. So here we go. You ready? Four hard medicines for the self-righteous soul. Rabbi, we know that you've come from God as a teacher because no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. And Jesus answered and said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus said to him, um, How can a man be born when he's old? He cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born, can he? And Jesus said, Dude, you're being a little too literal here. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Don't be amazed that I say to you, you must be born again. Here's the deal. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it but you do not know where it comes from and where it is going. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. The way that the Spirit works in our lives is this. Uh, we don't see the Spirit directly, but its effects in the lives of those uh, who have been indwelt by the Holy Spirit is undeniable. Here's the first hard medicine for the self-righteous. Life with God is only by the Spirit of God, only. There is no life in God apart from the Spirit of God dwelling in me, period. There is no transformation apart from the Spirit of God in me. There is no participation in His kingdom without the Spirit of God in me. 
There is no joining in the ministry of Jesus, the the mission of Jesus on the earth, but by the power of God's Spirit dwelling in me. Nicodemus, I have some bad news for you. At the end of all of your righteousness, at the end of all of your correct living, at the end of a lifetime of effort to accumulate uh, an acceptable level of righteousness by which you feel like maybe you have a chance with God, at the end of all of that, you need to understand something. No one has life with God but by the Spirit of God. Without the Spirit of God, you have no life in of yourself. Romans 8, 11. If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who lives in you. It is the Spirit of Christ living in me that gives me standing with God, that gives me relationship. Uh, If you're here this morning and you uh, do not have a relationship with God, it does not happen by you taking a, a, a scrub brush with some soap to your own life and trying to make yourself slightly more morally acceptable. It begins with a confession of faith. I am insufficient. And Jesus, I trust in the sacrifice of your body on the cross on my behalf. And when we make that decision of faith, Paul says, this is the mystery that was hidden for generations. This was the crux of the gospel, the thing that no one quite figured out until it happened. That God would be united with you through his spirit that you would become the holy uh, place, the temple of God, and that he would dwell in you. That's not just a superior plan. It's the only plan. There is no life with God but by the Spirit of God. Galatians 5, many of you are familiar with this. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. If you've experienced any of those to any measure in your life, guess what is the power producing those things in your life? It's the Spirit of God. Even godly character is a product of the presence of the Holy Spirit in us. Nicodemus, I'm sorry, you're doing a great job. And yet you fall short. You must be born again. He continues on. Nicodemus said to him, verse 9, how can these things be? Jesus answered and said to him, wait, are you a teacher of Israel and you don't understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and we testify of what we have seen. And you do not accept our testimony. If I told you earthly things and you do not believe, how will you believe if I tell you heavenly things? 
And then he says, now let me, let me just test you. See how much of this you can stomach. No one has ascended into heaven, but he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. No one in the history of all of humanity has made their way into the presence of God, except for one. And it's the same one who made his way into our experience, the Son of God. Here's the second hard medicine for the self-righteous. No one makes their way to God. He alone makes his way to us. Have you ever been just exhausted in your efforts to like be a good person, to do the right things? to the point that there's like no joy in it. You start to lose sight of the purpose of it. You understand no one makes their way through their, uh, through their morally upright living. No one makes their way to God. God is always the one making his way to us. And wherever you're at, if we were, if we could, this would be fun for some of you, if we could lay you out on sort of a moral, you know, hierarchy in this room and, you know, here way up at the top is, well, I won't use any names, and then way at the bottom, you know, is these guys over here. And uh, we see, you know, kind of where everyone falls God is meeting every person on that graph exactly where they're at. He has come whatever distance is necessary to grab them by the hand and help them take that next step towards relationship, towards uh, better understanding, better experience of him. So if you're all the way at the bottom, you are not further from the reach of God. And if you are at the top, <laughs> I have some bad news. You're not closer. I'm not suggesting that there are not benefits in relationship to living rightly. What I'm suggesting is that your own righteousness has not led you to the Lord, it's His righteousness. It is the Son of God who has descended to us. He has come to us, and he meets us where we are. He finds us where we're at. You know, in Jesus' preaching, he said this repeatedly, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. Meaning, the moment that you say, I'm tired of doing this, I'm going to turn to the Lord, you discover that he's right there. The kingdom of heaven is near. Just turn to him. You'll discover. He's right there. That's number two. Number three. Well, let's read here a little bit. Verse 14. He continues his conversation. Verse 14. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so the Son of Man must be lifted up. Wait, what? Remember this story from, from Numbers? Numbers? Everyone grumbled, 
we're unhappy with God, we don't like anything that he's doing for us, we're, you know, just really bad attitudes, and all of a sudden these serpents uh, appeared, started running around biting everyone, and everyone started dying, which is it's really bizarre. This is why I don't live in Florida. Uh, <laughs> Alaska, the land with no snakes. Uh, these snakes start going around, and the people finally repent. They come to repentance, and they say, God, we're so sorry. We need this consequence, this punishment to stop. Uh, we need you to rescue us. And so he tells Moses, he says, I want you to make a bronze serpent, and I want you to put it up on a pole, hang it up on a pole high where everyone can see it, and when you look to the serpent, you'll be saved. Which is weird. <laughs> a serpent is the only animal that we know uh, was cursed by God. We also know from the Old Testament law that anything hung from a tree is cursed by God. Those were God's words. So, let me get this straight. I want to be free from the curse. I should look at something that represents a curse. Yeah. And Jesus, just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, would be lifted up and become the curse for us by receiving in his body our guilt and suffering its due penalty. Even so must the Son of Man be lifted up so that whoever believes in him will have eternal life. Remember, we defined that a few weeks ago. Eternal life is an ongoing experience with God. That is eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send the Son into the world to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through him. Here's the third hard medicine for the self-righteous. Jesus took our punishment instead of demanding it. There is nothing more bothersome to the self-righteous than other people who are not afraid of punishment, than other people who have not received just punishment. Oof. I hope it goes terribly for him, and he learns his lesson. It is a symptom of the self-righteous to talk about God in terms of who God is going to bring punishment to, who God is going to judge. And Jesus says, let me be really clear with you. You have elevated yourself in your own self-righteousness to a certain uh, moral standard, but all the people that you look down on, all the people that make you feel better about yourself, God is not coming to judge them. He's coming to rescue them, and he's going to rescue them by taking their judgment upon himself. He took the guilty plea and paid the whole fine, did the time. Jesus took our punishment instead of demanding it. 2 Corinthians 5.21, he made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. And this is the part where I plug my Tuesday training class. 
on Tuesday the 8th at my house. I'm going to start a class I've taught many times. It's called the gospel. The message of the gospel, which is the good news of what Jesus has done, has not transformed your life and your relationships. You either don't understand it or you don't believe it. It's a four-week class to four Tuesday nights to help you understand it better so that you can believe it and walk in it. It really is good news. Jesus took our punishment instead of demanding our punishment. Now for the last dose of medicine. And I'll be honest, this is the one that stings when I put it on my uh, festering wounds. Ready? You can leave. Verse 18, he who believes in him is not judged, and he who does not believe has been judged already, because he's not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the judgment. Here it is. That the light came into the world, and men loved the darkness rather than the light, for their deeds were evil. When is Nicodemus meeting with Jesus? Late at night in the dark. For everyone who does evil hates the light and does not come to the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. But he who practices the truth comes into the light so that his deeds may be manifested as having been wrought in God. And we need to unpack this. But here's the fourth medicine. True righteousness loves the light, embraces the light, enjoys the light, walks in the light. And this may seem contradictory to the person who is always hiding because of a sense of shame. You would say, well, I'm the opposite of self-righteous. I'm self-loathing. It's the same thing. You're just not as impressed with how you're doing by your own standard. If you have a tendency to hide, you may think, I am, I am the antithesis of what it means to be self-righteous, but they're both rooted in the belief that I must produce a righteousness of my own to gain standing before God. The only difference is one group thinks they've done a, just a, a bang-up job, and the other realizes I've done it terribly, and they're both self-righteous. And Jesus says, and they're both terrified of the light. They both keep things in the dark. They keep things hidden. I mean, after all, it's church. There's a bunch of Christians. This is the last place that I'm going to, like, open up the windows and let light in, right? Because everyone will be so judgmental. Or so we've decided. He says, no, the reason they don't walk in the light is because their deeds are evil. And they fear that their deeds will be exposed. Just so that a few of you feel better, how many of you have ever feared exposure because your deeds were evil? 
And then he says this, he who practices the truth comes to the light so that his deeds may be manifested as having been wrought in God. The one who understands that righteousness has been given to me as a gift, that the only life that I have is because of the Spirit of God in me, that Jesus took my punishment, and that I'm free to be in relationship with him, that person is not afraid of the light. And, and it's not because they're doing so much better, it's because every time they stand in the light, what's revealed is the work of God in their life. That all of the benefits, all of the goodness, all of my capacity to walk in righteousness and walk in truth is only evidence of the hand of God in me. And I love to show it off. I'm not afraid of the light. Self-righteousness is always hiding in the dark. You want to jumpstart your spiritual growth today? I'll make it real simple for you. Take what you've been keeping in the dark and bring it into the light. I dare you. And what you will find is that those areas of your life that you are, you are courageous enough to bring into the light of God, you will see God rot righteousness to, to form righteousness in your heart and life as you're willing to walk in his light and be known. I don't mean you have to get up here and confess to everyone, but you do need to walk in the light with someone You can do that today. First John 1, verse 5. This is the message we have heard from him. I'm going to invite the worship team up. This is the message we have heard from him and announced to you that God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, first of all, which is fantastic, right? What you find is when you step into the light and acknowledge your own weaknesses, allowing God to work in you and get credit for your own righteousness, what you find is that you actually are put into fellowship with others, not alienated. You're brought into fellowship with the rest of the people who in their own weakness and failings are walking with the Lord in the light, giving him credit for everything good. You find fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Because that is our common bond. And I said this from the very beginning. The Christian faith consists of a set of truths, of propositions about the world, about humanity, for sure. But at its core, the Christian faith is about a person, the person Jesus Christ. And the same blood 
of Jesus that you take when you take the cup is the blood that I take. Because me, like you, and you, and you, I have no life in myself but by the Spirit of God through the death and resurrection of His Son. So I stand before you this morning not as morally superior. I stand before you this morning as perfect in righteousness. So take that. Because I, like everyone else here who has believed, I only have one place to stand, and that is firmly in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Okay, so we're going to do communion together. Uh, if you guys want to stand with me, we have stations around the room. Um, oh, uh, actually, we're going to wait. Go ahead and stand. I got myself a little bit out of order. Um, this is what we're going to do. We're going to come before the Lord. We're going to sing together. We're going to celebrate Christ in one song. Uh, after that song, uh, I'll come up and I'll give you some directions for uh, taking communion together. Oops. So let's take a moment. Uh, let's come before the Lord together. Uh, ask for his presence here this morning as we come to worship. God, we thank you for your son. We thank you for his work on our behalf. So grateful for your perfect love. I'm so grateful for the gentle ways that you have uh, worked in my heart to reveal and expose self-righteousness and liberate me from it. Pray for those here this morning, God, that we would turn to you. Amen. Thank you, team. God so loved the world. He gave his only begotten Son. That whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send the Son into the world to judge the world, but that the world through him would be saved. Isn't that good news? Oh man, I'm so thankful. Hey, I want to make a quick note. I was supposed to mention this earlier and I forgot. Uh, we had to add a couple of house churches this year because we had uh, increased participation level. So we added a couple, and we're still short. We still have about uh, 20 people or so that uh, all of our groups are full. We really need another group or two. If God is moving on your heart, you want to host people in your home, you want to lead a house church, come and talk to me right away, talk to Rhonda right away. If you have not been placed in a house church, we would just ask for your patience with us as we try to get everyone assigned. Tonight, there are house churches for those that are up and running. There's also uh, youth ministry for junior high and senior high happening uh, at the Rock uh, building. Otherwise, I'm going to ask the prayer team ministry members to stay put for a few minutes. If you want prayer for anything, they'd love to pray with you. God bless you. God keep you. May his presence be with you. You're dismissed.